First Peter chapter number two. I'm going to read the first 12 verses, but um, we'll be focusing our attention mainly on verses 9 and 10. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. If so be that ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming... As unto a living stone, disallowed, indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also, as lively stones, are built upon a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Have your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they may speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Remembering from chapter number one that Peter is writing to suffering pilgrims and strangers. And he tells them again in verse number 11, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, aliens and sojourners, people who are making their way to a destination, people living in a land that's not really their home, on their way to their final, final destination, making their way, as we sang, to Zion's hill. His purpose was to exhort them and testify of God's grace as you find out from the end of the book. Chapter 5. So we're being encouraged to continue to follow Jesus Christ despite the hardships and the trials that we may endure. Peter, uh, moved by the Holy Spirit. This is God's word and, and God is very honest with us that we're going to suffer. We're going to have trials. We're going to have hardships. That's not to be unexpected. So what we do is we follow the Lord and we, we walk in the light and we remember who we are and what God has done for us. Because we're born again by God's Spirit, we lay aside the old ways of life 
and desire that word of God that we may grow in grace. We're saved by grace. We're born again by that incorruptible seed, the word of God. And we desire that word like newborn babies. We just can't get enough of it. When we take that in, that precious word of God, those blessed promises of our Lord, we grow in that grace that... um, We grow in grace and we grow in uh, spiritual strength closer unto the Lord. Our Savior, whom we love, though we haven't seen, we love, is precious to us. Now out in the world, he's despised and rejected. He's a stumbling stone, a rock of offense. But to us, he's precious. And when we behold the Lord Jesus by faith, we agree with God's testimony that Jesus is that living stone. Not a rock of offense and not a stumbling stone, but the chief cornerstone, the living stone, elect and precious. And we believe in him and trust in him. And we are not ashamed because we know him and have found him to be Um, the true and perfect Savior that He is. So Peter reminds us and teaches us these true things about Christ from the Scriptures, uh, the Old Testament Scripture. He he tells us um, these, and reminds us and teaches us of these truths about Jesus. And He reminds us and teaches us about what God has made us when we come to Christ by faith. So, it might not feel like it. It might not look like it. But God has blessed us beyond measure and has given us great privileges in this world. And so he reminds these suffering, downtrodden Christians, these pilgrims and strangers this minority of who we are and not to despair and not to be overcome with sorrow and not to give up hope but to be encouraged by who we are in Christ. See, that's how Peter starts verse number 10. No, verse number 9. But you are And that could be the title of our message tonight. But you are. This is who you are. We may be persecuted. We may be um, defamed. And, and we may be shunned. We, all of these bad things may happen to God's people. And if you just... Glance down there, verse number 13, we start talking about submission to the rulers. And and verse 18, servants be subject to your masters with all fear, not only the good and the gentle, but also the froward. And those who treat us poorly, and those who um, may, may wrong us, we should expect that. Because we're, we're living not in heavenly Zion. We're not living in a, a, in a Christian nation. We're living in a world 
dominated, controlled by the power of darkness. And we can look around and say, well, we're in the minority or, or things are so far out of control, so far um, messed up. What, there's, there's no hope. What are we going to do? We're, we're attacked on every side, it may feel like. Peter just tells us, dearly beloved, take a breath. Calm down. And trust in Christ. Take a breath and just remember. Just stop for a second and remember who you are. Remember who your Savior is. Your Savior, the Scriptures tell us that in the Old Testament, that God said here is the chief cornerstone. Here is the elect one, the precious one, my anointed. And how did he get treated? He was disallowed. He was rejected. He was despised. He was persecuted. He was hated. And Peter says, this is the stone to which you have come to. This is who we're united to. Now to you and I here tonight, He is precious. He is altogether lovely. But to those who have not been born again, those who do not have saving faith, there's just nothing there. There's nothing lovely in the Lord Jesus. And so, while we have these true blessings, we have to remember that most of the people we're around all day long might not. And probably don't. And so Peter remind, just wants us to think, this is who you are. You're not who the world tells you that you are. You're not who society tells you that you are. You're not even uh, what you're experiencing so much as uh, this is who you are in Christ. Believe this by faith. So what we're going to do is just go through some of these and, and point out what we are in Christ. This is who you are. We'll start in verse 5. And he says, you are living stones. So Christ is the living stone in verse number 4. Because we have come, we've tasted that the Lord is gracious. And we've come to the living stone. We haven't come to a temple. We haven't come to a monastery. We, we haven't come to a, a brick and mortar house. We have come to a, a living stone. Chosen of God and precious. And united to him, we are born again by the living stone. And by virtue of union to Christ, we can be living stones. We have life in Christ. Because, because Christ lives, we live. We have that vital union with Jesus Christ. We, we are in the vine. We're in the branch. Uh, we have life um, because we are in Christ. By regeneration in the Spirit, we are born again. So that's who you are tonight. You are regenerated, born again unto everlasting life. Whosoever believeth him shall not perish, but has everlasting life. You have everlasting life. You've been regenerated. That that cannot be taken away. That cannot you cannot be separated from this everlasting life that you have tonight. Again. Everybody in here, day by day, is getting older. Everybody in here, day by day, is, is one step, 
one day closer to meeting the Lord. But in Christ, we have everlasting life. And one of these days, we'll have a glorified body and we'll live in a land where we'll never grow old. We'll live uh, with the Lord and never get sick. We'll never get tired. Um, we'll, we'll have a, a glorified body and a glorified mind and new desires. And that's all waiting for us. And we have that now being born again by incorruptible seed, which liveth and abideth forever. And because that, uh, the Spirit lives forever, and the Word abideth forever, and our living Savior lives forever, and we are built upon and united to that living stone that lives forever, we are, um, we too will live forever in Christ. That's a blessing tonight, to know that we have everlasting life. Everlasting um, eternal life. So we are living stones. That's who you are tonight. We're a living house, it says in verse 5. Living stones built up a spiritual house. Again, we're not told to go to a house made with hands. We're not told to go build a house made with hands. Um, reading a little bit in, about. Some of the monasteries, the big, or not the monasteries, the big church buildings that were built in the medieval times. And, and people would start, they would design the building and start working on it. And one generation would come and go, and they'd never see the end of the building. The next generation would come and go, they'd never see it finished. And you know, sometimes three, four, five generations of people would be born and work on it their whole life and die and never see it finished. They never see the end of the project. Um, but they they um, were building this physical building that brought no salvation to them, brought no blessings. It was just, just a building. As impressive as it might be, just a building. But we're not told to go to one of those impressive buildings, or even to build one. But we make up the house of God. This spiritual house, not made with brick and mortar, but a spiritual house made up um, of God's people. It is you and I who are the house of God, the church of the living God. That's why we can meet here, we can meet each other's houses, if necessary, is because this is not the house of God. Uh, we make up, we are the house of God. And so that's who you are tonight. What a, what a wonderful blessing that is, what a privilege that is, that um, we are the place where God is worshipped. We are the place that brings honor and glory to him uh, because he has chosen to be glorified uh, by the worship of his people. We are a holy priesthood. Now, it's not the priesthood of ministers. It's not the priesthood of the church. But all who are united to Jesus Christ are in this holy priesthood. A holy priesthood made holy by Christ. People that saw you today, I wonder how many looked at you and said, well, there goes a holy priest. Uh, probably not very many. <laughs> I would say zero would be the accurate answer to that question. Nobody looked at you and said, well, there's a holy priest. 
I'd say a lot of people around here has never seen anybody that claimed themselves to be a priest. It's not on, on television. I'm a, I'm a Gentile, and you're a Gentile. We're not, we're not Jews. And someone wouldn't come up to us and say, excuse me, Mr. Holy Priest, could, uh, would, you, would you help me? Would you pray for me? But that's who you are. You are a holy priest that God himself has made holy. He has set apart for the work. He has made fit, made you fit for the work. The Old Testament priests had all kinds of uh, requirements, didn't they? They had to be from a certain family, had to be a certain age. They had to be healthy. They couldn't be maimed, so you you couldn't, couldn't be crippled and be a priest. And then they had to offer sacrifices and go through all the washings and had, you know, all the requirements that there was to be to be a priest, to be set apart for that work. But Christ has made each one of us fit and acceptable to worship him in this holy priesthood. That we don't go and look to um, another man to be a priest for us. We don't go to another to say, I need somebody to go and stand in between me and my great high priest. I need somebody else to worship for me and to pray for me or to, to sacrifice for me. But God has made each of you a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. You are blessed to be able to offer up spiritual sacrifices tonight. To think about what God has done for us, just for a second. So, you may be, a person may suffer. And they may spend all week, as we'll see in a little bit, uh, as we go on through the chapters here, They may spend all week being subject to a froward boss or under the hardship of a hard governor or in the hardship of a hard marriage. All kinds of ways that you could suffer. Might be hardships of of persecution whatever the case might be. Laughed, belittled, laughed at, belittled, you know, ignored. But Peter says, think about this for a moment, child of God. The Almighty God has called you into this holy priesthood and has called you and made you fit and separated you from the world to offer up spiritual sacrifices. And those spiritual sacrifices are acceptable to him and are well-pleasing in his sight. The sacrifice of praise, the sacrifice of worship, the sacrifice of thanksgiving are a sweet savor unto the Lord. You're giving 
is a sweet savor unto the Lord. Your helping of other Christians, your loving of your neighbor, your loving of God is a sacrifice um, unto the Lord, a spiritual sacrifice that the, that the Father looks upon as, as well-pleasing in His sight. And I know this because they're made acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. That your sacrifice of praise is by faith. There's not one of us in here that does everything perfectly. That does everything with all the I's dotted and all the T's crossed. We just don't. That's just the way that it is. We just just can't do it as, as much as we try. We just can't get everything right. But this verse tells us that they're not made acceptable to God because we try real hard or we're perfect, but they're made acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. That the Lord receives our our worship as, as frail as it may be through the blood of Christ by faith. And our loving Father our, our um, saving Lord receives this and it's acceptable in His sight. What, what a blessing that is to offer acceptable sacrifices. There's this uh, novel, it's called uh, Loris. It's about an Eastern Orthodox mystic. And um, starts off as a, as a teenager he gets this girl pregnant and they try to hide it and what ends up happening is she dies and the baby dies and so he blames himself because he said you know I, I didn't confess my sin I, I tried to hide it and I'm the reason that she died and then because he he believes in work salvation in this this story he goes on for the rest of his life trying to atone for his sins and to try to atone for her sins by living a, a life of asceticism. So he, he, he punishes himself for decades just trying to pay for his sins. Well, he gets to the end of his life and he goes to another priest and he said, I just want to know Am, am I doing the right thing? Is any of this working? Am I atoning for her sins? And the priest said, well, we can't know. Just keep on keeping on. And it's supposed to be a sort of a... The guy wrote it to be, I think, a, a, an encouraging book. But I thought, what, what a depressing book that was. Because I just thought that there's a whole, whole religions of people that do the same thing. Live their whole life trying to earn salvation. Striving and working and, and doing and beating themselves up and, and, and sacrificing. Hoping that God would find their works acceptable. Hoping that God would find their sacrifice acceptable. Not knowing if he does or not, not knowing if when he dies he'll be received of God because he just keeps trying his best. 
But the scripture tells us all that sacrifice, all that beating yourself up, accounts for nothing. It's as filthy rags. A pile of manure. It is not acceptable. But Peter says, you have been called and cleansed and redeemed and set apart to a holy priesthood. And in Christ, your spiritual sacrifices are acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. You can know, you can know that you are in Christ. You can know your works and your labor is not in vain. You can know that your life is not made a waste. You can know that the things that you do for the Lord will last. You can know that you don't run your race in vain because you have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. You have been saved by his righteousness. And so we are have been set free to serve the Lord, and our service is made acceptable by Christ Jesus. Not because we are perfect, but because He is perfect. I kind of think of, you know, it's not a perfect example, but like a little kid draws you a picture, your your grandchild might draw, draw you a picture with crayons, and it's not going to go up in the museum. And you might... Say, what's this, a dinosaur? No, this is a horse. You know, not even know what it is. But where does it go? It goes up on the refrigerator, doesn't it? Or, you know, you make a big deal out of it. Why? Because you love the child. And you know that, that it wasn't perfect. But you didn't expect perfection. The Lord knows we're not perfect. He knows our frame. But he, wa- he, he, he wants us to, to live by faith. And it's not received because it's perfect. It's received because it's done out of love and faith in Christ. See, it's not a certain class that has the ability to offer sacrifices of praise. It's not a higher class of Christian that have a unique ability to serve God and praise God far above others. We are made a holy priesthood. And we can have assurance as we offer our praise according to scripture that it's acceptable to God because we have faith in Christ and believe that our sacrifices are received because they are made acceptable by Christ. But what else are we? Verse number 9 tells us we're a chosen generation. A chosen generation. Back in Deuteronomy chapter number 7 I'm going to look at a few Old Testament scriptures here. In the next couple, Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse number 6. I think Peter references this. At least has it in mind. For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all the people that are upon the earth. The Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you because you were the more number than any people, for you were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you 
And because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Well, here was a chosen generation. A chosen people brought out from Egyptian bondage. Not because they were good or, or powerful or strong, but the Lord loved them because he loved them. And chose them to be his people upon the earth. But I'm not a Jew. I've never been to Israel. I've never even been close to Israel. It's far away from my family tree, far away from my family history, far away from where I'm at now. How can I be a, a chosen generation? Well, Paul tells us in Galatians 3 that it is those who by faith trust in Jesus Christ that are the, the children of Abraham. That, that it is those who come to him by faith who are that um, true Israel, we might say. In uh, Galatians 3.26, For you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. If you have faith in Christ, there, there is no longer these distinctions between Jew and Gentile. There are no, it doesn't matter where you're born. It doesn't matter who your ancestors are. It doesn't matter if you're free or a slave. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. We're all one in Christ. The children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. And so tonight, if you be Christ's, then you're the child of Abraham. Then you're this chosen generation. That's who you are, a chosen people. You are the people of God tonight. You can, you can leave this place and say, I'm an heir of the promise, a child of Abraham. I'm a chosen generation. Not only that, but a royal priesthood. We're a holy priesthood, but then he goes on to say a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. The, the Christian, Christian privilege of, of both ruling or offering praises to Christ and then one day ruling with him. Back in the Old Testament in Exodus 19, the Lord told Israel about this promise. Exodus 19.5. Well, in verse 4 he said, You have seen what I did unto the Egyptian, how I bear you on eagle's wings and brought you unto myself. This chosen generation. I, I rescued you and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, Remember that part. 
if. Then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. So Moses called everyone together and said, this is what the Lord said to us. In verse number 9, it says, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with thee and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord. And you know what they did? They said, we will obey. All the people answered together and said, I shall read verse 8, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Lord said, if you do this, I will bless you. And they said, we will do it. We'll do it. A royal priesthood was the was what they were called to be. A holy nation. That's what we are, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. Israel had the promise of blessing, but they also had that requirement of the covenant. And what Galatians 3 tells us also and and the whole book of Galatians was, that they couldn't do it. This law was a schoolmaster to show them that they could not do it. They could not keep that covenant. They could not obey his voice. Because Exodus 20 is the commandments. God gave them all that they were supposed to do, and Moses didn't even get down off the mountain before they started worshiping golden calves. They, they, they could not do it. They could not keep the law. And it wasn't that God gave them this law so that they could be saved by the law. It was to show that that despite all the privileges, they just could not do it. And they forfeited all the blessings that God had given them. But Peter says, you, children of Abraham or a chosen generation, you are a royal priesthood that wear the royal garments of Christ's righteousness, adopted into the family of God and made joint heirs with Christ, journeying on to our inheritance that God has given to us, that awaits us in glory, helped by the ministering spirits, watched over by God's angels. John Gill said, anointed with the Holy Ghost and sanctified by his grace, allowed to draw near to God and offer up spiritual sacrifices of of prayer and praise, enabled to, to offer up the sacrifices of a broken heart and our bodies also, even our lives when called to it. This blessed privilege of holy service, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, That's who you are tonight. You might not feel like a royal priest. You might not feel like a chosen generation. You might not feel like a holy nation. You might look around and say, our country's run off the rails. There's just no going back to to anything. 
Our, our country has just lost it. Well, you're a holy nation. You're, you're pilgrims here. You, you're, you're strangers. You're aliens. And even in this country that you're a citizen of, because you're a part of a holy nation, a holy people, the people of God. Peter also says that you're a peculiar people or a redeemed people, an acquired people. The Geneva Bible had as a people set at liberty. Now, most of the time we say peculiar, we say something strange, but that's not what this means. Um, Webster's Online Dictionary says peculiar comes from a Latin word peculiarius. It's, it means privately owned or special. It's derived from the word property. And so it's a conjugate of the word that comes from uh, the cattle, you know, something that you own. And so uh, pecuniary means um, it relates to money. Peculate means to embezzle. Um, You know, there, there's a lot of English words that we use um, along those lines. Pecutionary, relating to money, right? So it's things that you own. Peculiar means something that you own, that you own. And so it's not that we're a strange people, but we're a purchased people. We're a people redeemed, possessed by the Lord. God has purchased us with his own precious blood, Acts 20, 28. We are his purchased possession. We are redeemed and purified to be his peculiar people, his purchased, redeemed people, zealous of good works. That's who we are. The world doesn't own you. Sin doesn't own you. The government doesn't own you. You are purchased by God. You are his purchased possession. You belong to him. He has bought you and, and paid for you and he has purchased you. Think about in Peter's day, you had a slave that labored all day long by a harsh, cruel master. Think about people today that are swimming under debt and doing the best they can just to survive, living check to check, getting treated bad by their employer because their employer knows they don't have any option, they don't have any choice. And they come home and, and just feel like, well, they, they own me. I'm not my own man. I'm not my own person. Peter says, take heart. You are God's peculiar people. You're his purchased possession. The Lord has bought you with the blood of his dear son. You were redeemed and loved and has set you apart for his service. A holy priesthood. Enabled to offer sacrifices unto the Most High. Well, then there's, there's the therefore... You're a peculiar people that you should. Or 
Here's the therefore, because of that, you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Because we are all these things, we leave here tonight appraising people walking in the light. As God's people, as a chosen generation, as a royal priesthood, as a holy nation, as a purchased people, we should show forth the praises or make known the greatness or publish the virtue and the excellence of Jesus. That the world, the unbelieving world, may despise and reject him. But he is my king. He is my savior. He has bought me and chosen me and and made my praise acceptable in his sight. He has called me into a holy nation. He has purchased me as a a, a blood-bought child of God. So I'm going to walk in the light because he's called me out of darkness. He's called me out of the darkness that despised and rejected him. He's called me into his marvelous light. And so I'll make known his greatness. I'll publish and, and extol the, the excellences, excellencies of his name. We'll show forth the praises of our great God and King Jesus Christ. Oh, what a, what a glorious privilege that we have in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful blessing that we have. That's who you are tonight. As you leave here, don't don't consider yourself to be um, downtrodden for all eternity. Know yourself to be saved and redeemed and just on a pilgrimage. Because that's, that's what we're on. We're on a trip. We're on a pilgrimage. Going from one place to the other. The pilgrims left Europe and they went across the sea to a new land. And they no longer considered Europe their home country. They came to a new world to start a new life. And though the journey was fraught with dangers, that's what they were looking for. They were pilgrims looking for their home. Well, you and I don't have to to find a home or settle a home or or come to a a strange new world and and chop down trees and uh, fight uh, enemies and disease and hunger and starvation. We're on a journey. We're on a pilgrimage. But all has been prepared for us. All has been made ready for us. We have... God has already made us who we are. And so in these trials, we just have to remind ourselves who we are and think about who we are and then show forth the praises of him that's called us out of that darkness into his marvelous light. May the Lord add a blessing to his word and help us to remember who we are in Christ Jesus to show forth his praises.